All right, we're recording. This is the Coach Haas Podcast, sponsored by Sports Rehab PA. And now we also have a new sponsor, Bio-Optimizers. Mikey? Bio-Optimizers. So you could uh, check out the Masszymes. Masszymes is really good for uh, helping digestion, getting the most out of the food that you're eating. Um, if you have a busy lifestyle or you're an athlete and you know, you're training a lot, uh, consuming a lot, you want to get the most out of what you're eating and just in the food that we have today, it's a little bit harder to break down. So the mass signs helps to really pull the most out of that and uh, give your body the most in the food. So breaking down the proteins, the carbs, and then the uh, P3OM is the uh, probiotic that you can mix in with the mass signs just to help for some extra digestion, uh, works well at night. And uh, I've been using it for a couple of years and definitely notice a big difference, especially, um, you know, after just big meals working out, you know, a lot of high carb protein content. Uh, and then I recommend them to a bunch of athletes and friends. Uh, they're just kind of having digestion issues, feeling like hmm. bloated and just really like they have a brick in their stomach. Um, they're trying to consume a lot of the food. You know, they might have like a recovery drink or a protein drink right after and then they go home and have a meal. And it's just a lot for the stomach to digest or some people do casein protein at night to help with recovery. Um, taking the masszymes uh, with the P3OM helps really break that down. Yep. Uh, makes it easier on your stomach. Um, so uh, I love the product. I think it's working great. So if you use uh, code JUICY at checkout, you'll get 10% off. Nice, nice. I'll tell you what, that might turn me on to them. Uh, it's almost been a year now, and they've literally <laughs> saved my life, um, saved my stomach. You know, I was I thought I was having some issues with my stomach and – uh, he recommended these, uh, the mass enzymes, and they have been a, a lifesaver. So anyway, uh, you know, there are sponsors right now, and uh, we have a new guest tonight. It's a new Thursday evening. Uh, we have Miss Kate Decker tonight. Crazy story about this. I want to kind of get into this a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I met Kate through her husband, and I met her husband a I guess it's 2000, 2009, 2010. I was running a boxing gym downtown, the Johan boxing gym. And Tony happened to come in and I think he knew uh, maybe Danny, the trainer at the time. And um, so we just kind of met and he was the strength coach at, at, uh, at Temple and we got talking. So we ended up linking up on LinkedIn and we've kind of stayed friends. And then I saw Kate pop up on there. We became friends on there. We've had a couple conversations here and there over the past few years. And then we finally decided to have her on the show tonight. It was a, it was a trip. It took a couple weeks to get it done, but we got it done. So Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you all for having me. I'm excited to be here and, uh, and get to know you guys even better tonight. Yeah, this is good stuff. So I, I, we definitely appreciate your time. Um, so we always get right into it with everybody. And, you know, uh, it's the podcast was built on curiosity. And the curiosity is about people that are in the industry, uh, you know, uh, leadership. It could be, uh, you know, sports performance, rehab, obviously, you know. Um, but kind of give us a background into, you know, how you got into this and then, you know, where you are now. Okay. So it's a, it's a unique background. I'll admit that I, I didn't take a straight shot. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't start with saying that a little bit about the way I was raised. 
So both my, both my parents were into fitness. Um, I'll say fitness in, in certain ways, but my, my dad was in the military for 20 years. He was in army intelligence. Um, he spent another 20 years for the government after that. His last assignment while he was in the army, which I did not know until pretty recently, was he was training um, special forces. Wow. And so I, I grew up, you worked out. <laughs> you know, my, my dad actually boxed when he was in the service. So I grew up watching boxing with my dad and, and uh, tried to learn a little boxing. And anyway, he, did you he add, did, 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 he, did he play <laughs> Reveille in the morning to wake you up? Yeah, no, you know, you would think, and I'm so glad because if you said that when he was around, he probably would have. He would have jumped right in there. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fine. He, he had, a, had an awesome sense of humor, but that's the way that we were raised. And we were also raised that you look at things from an Eastern philosophy and a Western philosophy when someone gets sick. So we had all kinds of natural healing books when I was growing up. So it was, it was a, it was a unique childhood. And then family, family wise, we were playing volleyball or the kids out playing soccer or, you know, whatever. We were always, we were always really active. Um, I, I ended up on this pathway, um, not right out of, not right out of college. Um, I was in sales and marketing and public relations. Obviously, I was always working out. I was working out like a fiend, um, like two and a half, two to two and a half hours a day, like four or five times a week. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I ended up getting extremely sick and almost lost my life. I lost a huge chunk of my memory, um, went to eight different doctors and had a unique pathway on the way back from being sick. And part of it, uh, part of that pathway was my mom picking up a book, The Definitive Guide to Alternative Medicine. That is kind of like the old unabridged dictionaries that's like this thick. Wow, yeah, it's got everything so in much it. Info yeah, exactly. So I started reading through that and that, really helped along with a whole lot of prayer in moving me into a very different pathway. Wow. So I went back to school um, and went down a, a different road completely. Um, but that was all faith-based and, and following what I, I believed that that was God's will. And two years later, I was working with the Philadelphia Eagles. Wow. So, yeah, very, wow. See very that? unique and See very blessed. What type of training were you doing that you got that sick? Well, um, it was not the training I don't believe. And knowing what I understand now, it was probably the type A personality um, working seven days a week and training and, you know, just constantly going and pushing my body to the limits in every possible way. And then I was around some, um, some unique, <laughs> you guys are gonna freak, some, uh, some very unique 
circumstances, um, I was around somebody who went into Egypt quite a bit and came back with artifacts from, of all places, King Tut's tomb. And yeah, so I did not put two and two together for a bit. And really thinking back, I should have seen an infectious disease doctor. Um, but I, I thought, you know what, something doesn't seem right. And it seems like that was the beginning. So you probably was around these things. From probably caught something from basically international exposure through that. So, right. So interestingly, it wasn't until many, many, many years later um, when I was coming off uh, of something else, and usually I'm actually pretty healthy, but uh, coming off of something else, and I spoke with a resident that actually did full studies on that exact subject. Because wow. when you hear about King Tut's tomb and um, the illnesses and people dying, right? There was the, the, the King Tut's tomb curse. Well, it turns out that there were uh, numerous molds that were found in the tomb mm -hmm. that created respiratory failure. And wow. those molds, yeah. So, so almost like if them spores were busted up. open like a, like a black mold. Wow. Right. So the, and I, and I just went, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Because anytime I told that story, I'd get, you know, some unique, <laughs> some unique looks. And I said, this might seem a little crazy, but, and the doctor went, no, it makes complete sense. He said, I actually did, you know, my, my thesis or, you know, dissertation on that specific subject. And I went, oh, wow, that's, wow. that's really Isn't incredible. It? And when I looked it up, every symptom, well, almost every symptom that was listed were things that I ended up going through. So, but that, that, you know, moved me into a different direction to really end up looking outside the box in helping people back from whatever it was that they were they were coming off of injury wise and that really assisted in continuing education along the way and i have i think it's 18 certifications now that that kind of constant thirst for knowledge you guys yeah. know because yep. you're yep. very you're very much there yeah i mean i believe it egypt is one of those places with an, an extensive history and there's still so much unknown there um and just even with the way that you know the country operates it's a little bit hard too to get in and try to research and dive into a lot of that there's a lot of i think there's a lot of mystery there still it's one of the more fascinating uh histories and cultures to look at if you actually go really back into it it's uh yeah it's pretty incredible it's like some of that ancient greek and roman stuff some of the ancient you know chinese culture there's a lot of stuff there that you still have yet to find out so Absolutely. We may, we may never know. This is interesting, Kate. Yeah. Go on. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I threw you guys for a loop. You did not expect that pathway at all. Well, no. neither did I. Neither did I. But that was um that was a that was a big change in um in my approach and my career. And um, you know, having having a husband, Tony Decker, as you mentioned. Uh, who's a four-time strength coach of the year at the college level and 
a, a dual background in strength and conditioning as well as sports medicine, we talk about probably a little too much, <laughs> but we talk about all, all sorts of injury prevention and return from injury as well as speed development and, and strength and conditioning and even you know, now coming off the pandemic and athletes coming back into play, depending on where they were in the country and, and what they've been through, yep. you know, the mental and the physical um, effects that's had on them. Absolutely. I mean, the, the mental end, you know, is, and that's what Mike and I have discussed so many times over and over. It's that part, you know, just being able to get back out and get back into like, it's it yes it's definitely you can see that there's some momentum going now and you know things are starting to get back to you know um whatever you want to call normal um but right. it, it, definitely the mental end and i when these kids were coming in during covid you know it was a lot of obviously everything's one-on-one -on -one with me um i kept saying to them you're in a better position than most you're in here training and they're not even a, they're not even able to access this stuff. So you're actually catching up. So stay positive. So that was kind of my little tool that I used throughout to kind of encourage them. I said, if there was ever a good time to get hurt, it was during COVID because it allowed you to kind of to recover most and then be able to get back to play with everybody else, you know? So. Right. You know, the, the mental piece is just, it, it's, it's amazing. Now, you're also the founder and director of the Institute of Athletic, Move, uh, Athletic Movement. There it is. I am, yeah. <laughs> um, so that started when we were in South Carolina. Um, previously, we, you know, we've moved around a little bit with a husband in coaching and, and my, my background as well. Um, so we lived outside of Philly for quite some time. Both of us are from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. When we were in the, the Philly area, we owned a company, Athletic Development and Performance Training, and to adapt to win. So that was, that was what we owned for about 12 years while I was with the Eagles, and we both were at Temple. Tony was the director of strength and conditioning there. Um, Institute of Athletic Movement. We're continuing a lot of the, the realms that we've done previously. Um, Tony is also at Chattanooga Christian School, and he's the director of strength and conditioning there, as well as the department head of the physical education and wellness department. Um, wow. But the one of the big launch off pieces for the Institute, you know, we, we brought the Institute into it. Um, for a big reason, we want to branch out more into education. So that has been a big goal this year. And uh, just in the last couple of months, we've launched a number of, of products and, and just uh, joined with CCS um, for our first Southeast Regional Strength and Conditioning Clinic that was held over the weekend. Wow. So that, wow. Was, that was a big... It was a, a big undertaking in the unique circumstances, but it's also been a blessing. And you also just put together a webinar series too, correct? Yes, we did. And it's dedicated towards parents and coaches and understanding. And, and that's actually on recording and, and I'll, I'll add on um, a special discount 
There will add some links on at the end as well, and then you know yeah, how to access. Yeah, yeah, that would be awesome. I'll, I'll share that with you all, and anyone who's watching, they'll they'll get a special deal on it. But it's a four-part series, and this this tells you, you know, again, our hearts are right where where you your beliefs are. I believe um, in understanding volume and understanding um, how much is too much when a kid's training, when they're involved in, you know, whether it's multiple sports or they're a single sport athlete, if they're playing that sport year round, um, what, what parents need to be aware of. Uh, we talk a little bit about overtraining. We talk about um, injury prevention. We talk about speed development, nutrition. We also talk about the mental aspect and things to be aware of there. So it's a it's a pretty packed in grouping there for four different webinars because this was our first time doing a webinar and this is, you know, our, our mindset is why just do one? Right. It's too, yeah. <laughs> okay. Go yeah, big or go home. Just, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Well, you so know what, we when you have that much information, right, it's just, it's hard to put together in, in one series, you know, or, or, or one uh, episode. So making a series of them, you know, and it gives you a way to be able to break that down and, and to sell them individually too, I guess, right? Yes, absolutely. But Not we, even so much sell it, but to distribute it individually. Yeah, we just want to get more of that information. You know, we have the, the, clinic that we did over the weekend, we had um, coach Johnny Parker, who was in the NFL for quite some time, three-time Super Bowl um, winner, and coach Al Miller, um, who's was in the, in the NFL for 22 years, um, been to the Super Bowl five times, had coach Ethan Reeve, who was the president of the College Strength and Conditioning Association, Hall of Fame coach, uh, college coach, Rob Oviatt, um, Rob Panarillo, um, founder of uh, Professional PT, um, who's also a Hall of Fame strength and conditioning coach. So, Wow, lots you know, of knowledge. He, lots yeah, of knowledge there. Tell you what, I, I learned a whole lot. I was also blessed to present, but those are the those are the people just like you all are, are teaming up with the the very best we try to search you know search the the best knowledge that's out there and and try to to get more education out there to help help these athletes stay in the game longer enjoy their sports and keep them safe and healthy and and not just you know, for the next couple of years, but to really enjoy life and stay healthy. That's a big yeah. deal. So Kate, I want to back up a little bit. Can you talk about how you guys got involved with the Philadelphia Eagles? Absolutely. So um, like I said, I did not start in this industry, even though I, you know, I was immersed in it at a young age. Um, I was in outside sales and marketing for a bit. I was actually a PR director um, for a little while for a, for a uh, magazine as well. And so fitness related, it was just sales on. Um, it was, no, it wasn't, it wasn't sales and fitness. My, one of my first jobs was, was in fitness and I did do some of that part-time um, and continued to, to 
work out myself and then work out individuals, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a business, not right. by a long shot. Um, and now I just lost my train of thought. How about um, the Eagles? Yes. How could I forget? Thank right. you. Thank you, you guys. It. Go Eagles. He's not an Eagles um, fan, though. We, we know that. <laughs> I am. Oh, okay. My bad. I'm oh. sorry. I apologize. That. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's right he's right on the border there central jersey you got you still got eagles fans and then you got the it giants could, it could go either way right, i understand right, this right. I, I understand well at least you chose the right direction that's right um so, so i tony and i moved to the cherry hill area um mm -hmm. he he was at university of virginia when we met as the director there um we moved up north and then ended up in the Cherry Hill Jersey area at Velocity Sports Performance. And um, two of the Eagles happened to walk in the door. Sounds like we're starting a joke. So two of the- Velocity two Sports of the, Performance? Yes. Was there a Rich Polar working there? I don't think so. Okay. I'm not sure at the time, um, I know as an intern, maybe? Okay. Is that what you're thinking? Just curious, he was there and he, uh, he works with a lot of, um, you know, like UFC fighters and stuff now, treating one of his, his guys, so, he, but he okay. was, yeah. Okay, I'm, you know what, I'm horrible with last names. <laughs> there was a rich. Okay. <laughs> there was a rich. There was a rich. Um, there was a rich. So when we're, uh, you know, we're going about our daily activities. Two of the Eagles starters, Mark Simonell, yeah. um, middle linebacker, wow. yeah. and uh, Sheldon Brown, yeah. also starting cornerback, yeah. walk in the door. And so the owners and Tony had stepped out and the owners come up to me, Kate, Kate, you know, these guys, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, sure, I can show them around. And so I take them around and show them what we offer. And then I told them, a lot about my philosophy and Tony's philosophy as far as sports performance is concerned. Interestingly, it's all based off of a lot of um, Coach Al Miller, who was just out here, Johnny, uh, Coach Johnny Parker, and Rob Panarillo, who all three just uh, wrote and released the book, The System. And it turns out that Mark Simonell had um, had had coach Al Miller as one of his coaches. He was the uh, strength and conditioning head at the Falcons um, previously. Oh, wow. So, okay. so he, you know, very, very inquisitive, both of them very extremely knowledgeable and also really great, great people. Um, so we were talking to them or I was talking to them sharing our backgrounds, also talking about the, the sports therapy and orthotherapy that I did, as well as the sports performance, and talked Mark into um, coming in at nine o'clock the next morning. He goes, all right, yep, I'll be there. Shook on it. And I noticed, this is, this is gonna be tough on Sheldon, but I noticed Sheldon when I was you know finishing, kind of looking around a little bit, and um, and he is from South Carolina, just a remarkable individual as well as Mark. And I went over and I said, so Sheldon is like, 
I know that you're a man of your word and you will be here at nine o'clock in the morning too, correct? Uh, and I put my hand out and he goes, yes, ma'am. There you go. So that that's was, it. That's, that was the that's the sales of, end. That's yeah, the sales end coming that out. Was, that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship with those guys. And that was the year they went to the Super Bowl previously. Mm -hmm. And so, so the season became much longer and they were bringing more and more of their, uh, their teammates in. And at the end of, so I was extremely busy that year to say the least and all just amazing, amazing guys. And at the end of the year, excuse me, I got a call from, um, Eric Sugarman, who was the assistant athletic trainer for the Eagles, and who is now the, the, has been for quite some time, the head athletic trainer for the Vikings. And so he said, you know, we'd like to, to bring you in um, is if you're interested. Or actually, no, actually he said, we'd like to send you a couple of our top guys and so they sent a couple of their top guys and then and then called and said, you know, we'd like for you to, to come in. And I sat down then with uh, Rick Burkholder, who is the head athletic trainer of the Eagles, who's now the head athletic trainer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. And that is how I became contracted with them for nine and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So, so why were they coming into Velocity and not working at Novacare Complex? Well, <laughs> Mike. Mike has no, been waiting. <laughs> no, no being around the bush. Let's just get down to the juicy details. That's this podcast is about. That's right. That's what we're doing. Get the we're juice. Talk about this stuff. So whatever you feel comfortable talking, because yeah. I want to shed some light on some things, but I want to hear from you because you've obviously been working with them. And I just want to hear from your perspective. But that's my question. Like, why are athletes coming out of the Eagles organization to come work in a private facility? And then whatever okay. you can share on that comfortably, you know, it'd be great to understand. Whew. Seems like it just got a little warmer in here. There we go. Um, <laughs> I got the lights on. I'm ready. Yeah, it is. Okay. So obviously I don't know exactly, but I will say this. Um, the strength coaches at the Eagles, uh, there it was uh, Wolfie. And then after Wolfie, it was um, – Coach Barry Rubin, and Rubin is the, the director of strength and conditioning down in uh, Kansas City with Coach Reed, um, who was with the Packers with him previously. They're, they're amazing. And uh, Coach Rubin, actually, um, we got him on the phone while Coach Al Miller was here over the weekend. I think the world of him, um, I, I think the world of Wolfie, he had more of a, he came from the Penn State focus um i think for one you have a lot of time as an athlete within a, a confined area and you're you're constantly there you you have meetings constantly there um during some of the the off season right many times they're not going to be at the complex. So that's a great time to combine, you know, to 
to balance out what they're going to be required to do when they return back for their mini camps. So I always looked at it from that perspective, but I also was really big on making sure that they weren't overtraining. You know, I wanted to know what they were doing at the complex and um, so we could enhance anything that they were doing. Right. And again- You weren't being repetitive, you weren't doing things over. No, because, you know, I, I've turned people away before when when they've shown me what they're doing. Yep. And I'm thinking, you're, <laughs> you're in a really overtrained status, and the last thing that we need is to add something else. Yep. And so I'm always, Tony and I are always very straight with, with other coaches, with, um, with parents, with the athletes, depending on their age. Um, about our, our beliefs and wanting to come alongside somebody, but there are times to do it and there are times not to do it. So I, I think that's part of it is, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a change of scenery. Um, we built amazing relationships. So whenever, whenever they were with me in another facility, when we were at Temple, we had a number of them come over at Temple, so so they were engaged in, in other relationships outside of the Eagles complex. And again, a different change of scenery um, to balance out what they were doing at the complex. Also, when they were, when they were visiting us um, and we were training them at, at Temple, well, that was really beneficial for recruiting, to say the least. Sure. Um, and, a number of them I know really enjoyed being around the college atmosphere. That's how they had how they got where they were. Yeah. Right. Yep. And a number of them also helped some of our athletes in their process. They would give them tips along the way. And you, you can't, you know, you can't purchase those types of relationships or that type of um of mindset of having that giving heart to to want to help the next generation up, and that's pretty awesome. Paying it forward, awesome. yeah, yeah, they paid it forward. I asked the hot seat question because, um, you know, this is what podcasting is about, um, and this is what like social media is about—the ability to share this stuff. Um, and people want to know; they want to learn. And I've come to learn a lot over the past years. A lot of it started when I was taking courses with Kevin Wilk, works with James Andrews. And you start learning about the injuries that these guys have. And you start learning about a lot of things that go on behind closed doors. And you wonder why seasons are ended for athletes. And you wonder why athletes never, um, you know, uh, blossom to what they need to become and why they're struggling. And you learn what goes on behind that. And we could get that information because we're healthcare professionals. It's for a learning experience. Um, and then you kind of see some of the stuff that Kevin Wilk is doing and the amount of athletes that do come to him. Um, and you learn a lot about what goes on behind that too. And even in my time working with Rothman Institute and shadowing a lot of those physicians, some of them being, you know, even like Dr. Sakati, I'll never forget him saying, I have athletes that come in and want to get my opinion on a surgery and their agent says, well, we could go find someone to get you on the field two weeks faster. And the athlete doesn't know because the athlete doesn't understand about 
the health and fitness, they're trusting to be guided in the right way. But some of these um, agents are not in the best interest of their athlete. They're in the best interest for the money. It's, it's no secret. And they're going to try to do that. And the physician, like someone like Dr. Sakati will say, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to put my license on the line to get you on earlier. It's not going to be in your benefit. And more and more information is coming out, even in Kevin Wilkes' research, Mike Reinhold, even Dr. Andrews and stuff they're talking about is a lot of these athletes are getting back too soon. And they're showing more that rotator cuff injuries are still healing a year after the surgery, even up to two years. Um, ACL is obviously a big one. Fancy, a player on the field right after the ACL. We all saw it with Carson Wentz. They didn't understand the complexity of the injury. They didn't understand what goes in behind next. I get asked that all the time. What do you think of this athlete? What do you think of that athlete? So I really had to, yeah. So I really had to open up my knowledge as a physical therapist, not only for my own interest, but just going forward. If I want to really advance my career and trying to understand what is going on at this level. And if I'm going to work with college and high school athletes, and maybe at some point pro level athletes, I need to be able to have a conversation with them about these things. So they have to understand. And I've heard from individuals who have worked on pro teams. Um, one Christopher Knott, who had works up in Colorado Springs. He works with a lot of the Denver Broncos. He's Odell Beckham Jr.'s personal trainer. He was on a podcast on the Shrug Collective talking about, um, in his experience, what he sees is there are a lot of individuals who make their way into the field and the scene, but they don't really have the knowledge of the skills. So example, take a kid who's maybe living in South Philly and dad comes home and says, hey, you know, I have a friend who works in accounting in the Novacare complex. Why don't you come in for a summer job and start interning or something? So you come in, you start interning a little bit, and then they like you, and they keep asking you to come back, come back. So the kid might start continuing to work there, but maybe his heart's not really in on the training, but he's just kind of going through the motions, going in there. Before you know it, he might wind up maybe with a job or so. So Chris Knott's point was there's a lot of good trainers out there who don't get their shot because nobody knows they exist. But there are people who are getting these opportunities because maybe they know somebody or they got in. So it's a very interesting perspective. And then I heard Joe Ken, who worked with the Carolina Panthers for a long time, talking about the same thing. And he was saying, look, he's like, there are a lot of people in this industry that just don't have good qualifications and not doing the right thing. He's like, I get coaches telling me, well, we got seven guys who could power clean X amount of weight and do this. What does it matter when you're three and seven? And your guys are not translating it onto the field. And his point was right. a lot of coaches are fluffing the numbers and they're letting their players compensate and try to do it, just letting like poor form slide and poor efforts to say they did it. So they want the program to look good on paper. So these guys are saying, I'm hitting these numbers, hitting these numbers, but it's not really there. And then it comes time to the fourth quarter where we have to recruit that stimulus and it's not being you know, expressed on the field. And a lot of people have talked about this, about is the training going into the effect of the sport. And I know Kelly Starr talks about that a lot. Is your training effect, you know, speaking the language of the sport you need to do. And we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing, like you're saying, the overtraining. We're doing all this stuff, but is it translating into the sport and is it making the player better? And sometimes the things they're doing are not translating or it's the wrong things, or we have to have the conversation. Some of these young players, you don't know, they get that big contract, they see the money, they want to go out and they maybe have like a baller first year. And then all of a sudden things start trailing off. Somebody starts picking up on their skill and the competition starts learning about you. And then they start training, but you're out partying 
and you're not putting in the rest, the quality, all these type of things. So these are like all these conversations that come into one when we come back to the question and the concept of why are we having an injury? How did that guy get an ACL tear? Why is he out for this long? What's going on? So when we hear people who are working in this field talk about this stuff, it's like a light bulb turns on like, wow, I never really thought about that. So that's why I asked you that question because yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sensitive topic, but people want to know, they want to understand what's going on. And if I'm going to have a conversation with a high school or a college kid who wants to go to the next level and they say, well, the pros do this, I need to have a serious conversation about them about like what that entails and what's going on there. Well, I think uh, you definitely brought up a lot of amazing points. Um, Coach Rubin with the Chiefs, you know, he, he has a very similar, we have a similar philosophy as he does. We've had a number of the same teachers, right? Coach Joe Ken, um, Tony and I visited him while he was with the Panthers. Um, you know, I, I, and we believe really strongly in, in what he does too. And uh, I am writing a book and in that book, it talks almost identically about one of the stories that you just mentioned. You know, if, you, if you're a, a veteran or even if you've been the star player for the last two years and you're only in the league for, for two, you know, it's really easy to get complacent yeah. and then come in and, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And then you can't pass the conditioning test or you barely do. And you're a skill guy. Yeah. And that, that shouldn't happen. And then right. you got somebody coming in and shortened. wants that job. And then you also have the shortened time frames. So, so that's a tough one for the strength coaches who are doing a phenomenal job is all of a sudden you don't know who they were working with outside of the complex. And then they show up and now you, instead of having like in college, you have the entire year, right? Yep. The, the meso cycle and the, you're, you're working with these players on a four year or five year program to continue to build them. So you have that opportunity in the NFL. You don't, right? Because guys are getting, uh, you know, changed up they, they might not be in for very long um they may have been dropped by from the team they may have been picked up by another team and then the the bargaining agreements have narrowed down the time that they have to be at the complex so and you have a lot of guys who you know if they're an eagle that's not their hometown they could be from california or florida and and people don't understand a lot of times, wait, you're, you don't live here full time? No, my family, <laughs> you know, my entire yeah. family is in Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, we travel in for the season and sometimes the family splits. So it can also be the mental aspect. And a lot of rookies have difficulty with that transition going from college to the pros. And yeah, there can be complacency or I've got this, I'm already the big star, so I don't have to work yeah. as hard. Well, you're the big star because you worked so hard to get to that point and you have to continue it even more so because somebody is nipping at your heels. Yeah. Yep. 
the other thing that we are starting to notice um, is a lot of these guys do have this exceptional talent. I mean, these players are bigger genetically, you know, they're faster. You can take someone like Saquon Barkley. I use this example all the time. You're not going to make him bigger, faster, stronger. Your job is not to mess him up. Is really the words coming from some of the guys who work with these guys. And as a PT, if I was working with him, I'm not teaching him how to power clean. I'm making sure that he has a foundation. The mobility is good. The stability checks the points. So when he gets passed to that, that strength coach, he can do what's required of him. And then he could go and pass it onto the field. But if he's pushing through a locked up ankle or his hips are not moving well, or he's not following up with the mobility stuff because he wants to go out and just party all the time, you know, there's that aspect. We're going to start seeing this shift in these things. And that's where we kind of understanding the lane. And that's where Joe and I try to explain to a lot of the patients and with the, uh, the parents and the athlete we're talking about where PT strength coach and skill coach come in. So they understand where that's at. And, you know, when you listen to people who work at these skill levels, talk about this stuff, it really kind of breaks it down. You get into trouble when you start trying to like cross over into those lanes, but that communication, like you said, you don't know where an athlete might be during an off season. Um, you know, someone like Chris not used an example. He's like, I like Colorado Springs because this is where my family is, but he's like, athletes will come all the way out to me to show me they're dedicated. He's like, I could put a storefront up in Miami, but I don't want somebody coming in for a quick fix. He's like, I want the athlete who's actually dedicated is going to work. So I give them a program and have a comprehensive write-up. And then I can send that with them back to their, their team and say, this is what we worked on and here's where we are. Not just, oh, we came in for two weeks to get some like quick little thing. And he's like, he's like, these athletes have to understand that this is their moneymaker. This is their body. And one, one injury, that could be it, you know? And that's what we try to advocate too, to, um, you know, the athletes in the high school and college level is that you have to advocate for yourself because, you know, it's a hard game out there. You see it in the pro level, you get an injury. They might give you a little bit of time, but I mean, if you're not moving along, it's next man up. They're going to yep. look at someone to replace. You have to look out for yourself. So people like Tom Brady, you know, LeBron James, um, Russell Wilson, these guys invest a lot of money into their healthcare because they understand that as an individual athlete, they have to look out for themselves, even though they're on a, on a team. But if you look at like pro boxers, UFC fighters, tennis players, individual sport, you know, all these athletes have a nutritionist, you know, the dietitian, the physical therapist, the massage therapist, you know, everyone is looking after them and that's where their money's going to, you know, to take care of them so they can have longevity in the career, you know? Kate. Yeah, and so, go, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead. I'll, I got a different thought here. Go ahead. Finish your thought. And and sadly, a lot of times those things aren't learned until someone has been in the league for a bit. And then they start realizing, oh, wow, unless they have a group of really strong veteran leaders on the team. And that's that's uh, that's obviously beneficial when you have a little bit of older team or you have some older strong leaders on the team who are looking after the younger rookies and going, okay, you guys need to, to follow these suits. You need to take care of yourselves. You can't be staying up until three o'clock in the morning doing video games and then expect to play or expect to go full out and practice. Something has to give and, and you Strap. all know. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know how important sleep is. 
Yes. And yep. and how much that reduces the chance of injuries in itself. But if you're throwing all kinds of toxins into your system and you're not getting enough rest and you're, you know, stressed or your focus is on some unique relationship or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, all of those can all of those can kind of build up. Yeah. And then if you're not taking care of your body, you're not getting therapy, you're not working on proper nutrition. Um, and luckily now things are a little bit more leveled out as far as the number of hours that go into uh, the type of training or the number of practices and they're not doing as many two a days in pads, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah. So that you don't have that type of back, uh, breakdown. But the fact again, um, that some of the strength coaches don't have the opportunity to have a little bit more control in making sure, you know, teamwork's huge. And if the players aren't in it together um, from the very beginning and have a little bit more time to get to know one another and build each other up, both, you know, physically and mentally, I don't know, does that, does that end up hurting the team a little bit too? Yeah. And I, I want to touch real quick, Joe, before you ask your question was yeah, an example that, uh, you know, Chris used when he spoke on a podcast, he used an example of it was actually the game that Carson Wentz got injured in um, that Denver cornerback, I forgot who it was, was going to cut and the Achilles blew. And they asked an example as to how could something like that happen? And he said an example of, he's like, there needs to be accountability for these guys. So, Whoever is monitoring these, the staff of the defensive backs or whatever, should have been checking in with the players. Not to say this was a specific example with him, but an example of how an injury like that could happen. It's a multitude of things. And one example was, you know, what was going on? And the guy could go up and be like, hey, you know, games later, I'm going to go and I'm going to go get a massage this morning. And the coach would be like, no, because now what you're going to do is you're going to elicit a nice relaxation response. And then you're going to go, you know, 12 hours later under the lights, you know, in the evening, and you're going to ask for full-blown, you know, central nervous system stimulus and your body, the connection's not there. So your brain says to do this, but your body wants to do it and the connection's not there and there's a lapse. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a tear. So you should have been doing something like maybe like an active warm-up, you know, some light, you know, cycling, something like that. Keep the stimulus low. I know even like uh, Joe Kem was talking something about where sometimes um, – they might do a stimulus where they have guys go in before a game and just do some like, you know, 70% RM of like a squat for one or two reps to excite the central nervous system, something like that. I've actually played around with some of that training myself. It works, you know, because if you're all lethargic leading up and then you want to go 110%, your central nervous system doesn't know what to do. So it's like a deeper week of what to do. So what are your guys doing that week leading up and getting a massage right before the sport is not, but they don't know. They don't, know any better they think it's good or they read something on the internet that's where the multidisciplinary approach would come in and say you know this is what we got to do so that's what i was going to lead into asking like have you handled situations like that with players having that discussion well because you just brought that up um i have to say that tony decker um actually started he wrote an article when he was at university of delaware which was a long time ago it was way before we even met um, and he started the day, uh, game day training. And so he would, he actually had, it was, is very exclusive. And he had the, the, uh, 
the windows kind of taped over so you couldn't see in and the opponents would, would be going by and they would just hear, you know, the, the metal rattling, the plates rattling, <laughs> right? And guys getting all pumped up. And, you know, imagine imagine being the opponent going, dude, these guys are lifting before they come right before out. Before a game, field. right? Yeah, exactly. So that was, but that was, that was really awesome. And again, you know, the, the light activation was was huge. Now I will also say, having um, you know clinical and, and medical and, and sports massage background, there are ways to assist before the game. Obviously, you don't want to sit there and completely relax everything mm -hmm. out. That would be like doing um, static stretching for a long period prior yeah. to the game. That's going to loosen things up. That's why we moved to dynamic warm up to to create that activation so that mm -hmm. they're properly prepared. Um, but I have I've been in the gray zone many times, having um, being contracted with different teams and also having a business. And sometimes um, sometimes things will be told to me at whatever the complex is and that those notes need to be shared with the team. And then there are other times that they will tell me something or show me something that's in confidence that's in my space. Mm -hmm. And, um, or even say, you know, and this is not just Eagles. I've worked with, um, with NFL players from, I think it's, it's over 12 teams. And, and with UNC and CCU and Temple University and, and consulted uh, with others as well. So there are times that, that people will share something or call me up when they're with a different team or whatever and ask me different questions. I'm, I learned a long time ago and Joan and I were talking about this prior to our, our jumping on tonight about putting the, putting the person first. And, you know, my interest is always in making sure that the individual with whom I'm working is well taken care of. I will um, try to be politically correct in handling a situation, um, in staying in my lane, Mike, as you said, but yep. also to really have the best interest of that individual mentally, physically, you yep. know, spiritually, to, to be there for them. And, and yeah. it's those relationships. I, I, you know, we don't have kids of our own except our, our chocolate lab and our black lab Vishla mix. Nice. Um, so, and they're fast. Being a speed coach, I appreciate their quickness. Um, but so many of the athletes that we have worked with over the years, they are part of our family. And there's a reason for that. That's, and that's exactly, um, that's exactly why I put them first. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I think that Joe and I come across that same thing when we have the conversation that um, we're understanding a lot more. Uh, hence with the podcast, you know, people want to share more information because we want to get the best. Nobody wants to have their, um, you know, their, their life dreams ended by like a stupid injury. 
You know, yeah, there's traumatic things, a helmet to a knee, bad knee. But even then, I've seen Kevin Wilkes' research on what he did with, with Dunter Robinson when his knee was blown up in Houston. That knee was bad, and it came back. And he came back to blow up um, uh, Deshaun Jackson uh, when he played for Atlanta. That bad hit. That was Dunter Robinson after his yep. knee was completely destroyed in Houston. So we have the ability to rehab, but we need everybody on that same page with the athlete and, and, and you know, the, the uh, coach and everybody on board, including the agent, to understand we want to get the best out of this because your time is short. I think athletes are understanding that, especially if you play a position like a running back. Running backs maybe lifespans two, three years now. Trade-off versus concussion. How much do I want to do this now? They're understanding more. Let's maximize that and, you know, let's get the best out of this. So um, there are going to be people out there that I think try to stir that pot because they want to, you know, make the money and just get the player on the field and stuff. And that's something we're always going to be up against a challenge. But if we do our best to think to educate the athlete, you can't ever go against that. There's nothing wrong with right education. Like this is proper sleep. This is proper nutrition. We have things like the whoop strap now that they're doing a lot of research and giving more feedback. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is like one of their big sponsors. He was just on their podcast talking about it. Um, we have all this information now. Um, even the military is changing up their ways of training. And now it's like, there's really, with the information out there, it's hard to ignore that when we know it's there. It's just getting it out there, which is Another reason why Joe and I like to do this podcast because we want this yeah. information to get out there so people can get it. I mean, I can't tell you how many patients I've treated who have gone down the wrong path or wrong misinformation or spent so much time and money doing the wrong things. And then I just have a conversation with them and they're like, wow, if I only knew. And just imagine if that was like your child or your mom, you know, or, you know, your spouse, like it's the same thing with these players. You know, it was just like when the movie Concussion came out, it's not that we don't want them to play football, but they have a right to know what the risk is here and understanding that, you know, and it's the same thing with these things. You have a right to understand and learn about ACL injuries and how to prevent them, proper nutrition, how to, how to prevent issues, you know? So um, I think the education and knowledge is just so big. So that's why it's awesome to have somebody like you on here who has been in this. Yeah, um, been in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to also get somebody like Joe Joe Ken on here. I mean, he's hysterical with, you know, his, his Russell sweatpants and his shirt. There's no flash. He's just in there, like, uh, camera angle is poor angle, and he's just crushing it. Okay. He, <laughs> awesome. he has he's such awesome. great knowledge, and it's just awesome to learn from somebody like that. But then you got these guys on Instagram doing all this flashy stuff, and it's like, no. Like, um, another one is, like, Ben Bruno, who works with all the celebrities. He talks about it. He's like, we're doing basics now, and he's like – he takes all of his NBA guys and he makes them do deadlifts with those bumper plays that are shaped like pizzas. He's like, you got to work for it, bro. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, there you go. Yeah. And, and part of, part of this, this thought process was working with different, um, different college athletes too. And seeing, you know, if, if we were working with someone one-on-one -on -one since they were seven years old or 16 years old, and, and saw that buildup in their biomechanics, in their running, um, running you know, acceleration and, and uh, maximum speed positioning and the right agilities. And then seeing college athletes, I spoke on this um, over the weekend and was showing the, the fascial ramifications of the body with repetitive motions in and out of sport 
And then the reduction of performance that can happen if those things continue. And then correcting it, how that can enhance performance. Um, even showed one of, one of my NFL linemen um, from the back being in a, a pretty twisted, rotated position. And here, here he's that re repetitive motion over and over and over again. If he's laying on one side of the quarterback as an O-lineman, yeah. And then they switched him to the other side. Like he's not going to be able to play <laughs> on the other side because his body has yes. transformed itself yes. and yeah. is being held fascially and muscularly in that position. And that's exactly what happened. He ended up getting cut from that team. He ended up playing for another team. And we worked on some of that. And even college athletes, I was, I was with one group and, and this, this one young football player came up and he's going, you know, coach, can I, I'd really like to be, I want to, I want to get more explosive. I want to really work on my speed, my agility. So I'm like, awesome, because I am all into that from a lifting perspective and biomechanics. And I said, well, have you been doing, you know, what, what's your speed background and what's, you know, what have you done? Oh yeah. I've been working with these people and and yeah, and da, 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 da. I was like, show me, show me what you got. And he ended up having this, this completely bent over posture. And it's, you know, so many times there, there's a, a big uh, fallacy when it comes to the lean, the triple extension in that acceleration mm -hmm. phase. And so many, so many players you know, not just in football, but in soccer and lacrosse and field hockey, um, in basketball, first step. And sadly, it happens at the college level and younger. And sometimes later in the season in the NFL, you'll start to see the breakdown if those things aren't continuing to be addressed, right? Because of the breakdown in that constant power or athletic position that the athletes are in. They start getting out of that position. They start overstriding because they're bending from their hips instead of leaning from their ankles and keeping everything else, you know, firing through. If they're unable to get into those positions, how in the heck are they going to come through their hips in a tackle position? Yeah. Right. And then you start to see the, the, the breakdown again of, of an overemphasized uh, emphasis on the anterior um, aspect of their body. And, and I've even had, uh, but go, going back to that, um, that football player, I had him just try to lean into a triple extension position. And he was like this. Yeah. And he, and he was saying, oh yeah, I've been training with these guys on speed. And I'm like, oh, it kills me. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, dude, you were wasting so much time and you're hurting yourself. Yes. Like that, that puts him in a bad position, as you all know, for more of an injury to take place. His head is going to be dropped. His erector spinae aren't strong. He's, his, he's going to be overstretching his hamstrings. He's overstriding. And you're just looking at all kinds of issues. Plus, if he's overstriding and the other guy is in a great position, he's going to be missing plays as well. Yeah, but they're, they're pushing through it. They're just doing it because they're so used to it. Yeah. yeah. Joe, how we do, don't find out Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm over here thinking, like, how do you handle – 
this athlete who is stubborn like this that <laughs> i mean th this i've had several recently and it's like okay everyone wants to see and challenge coach joe right now and but how are you i mean because it's between the athlete and some of the parents like i'm going back and forth and you know just recently we had it um um an athlete with a high ankle sprain and uh, they just didn't want to take the time off because the soccer games were so important that they had to play in them, which by the way, the practices are just as important. So, you know, like, but there was no time to take off. And I suggested that there be a three week break in order for this thing to really try to heal. Now I didn't say three weeks of sitting on the couch. I said three weeks of no playing soccer and come in and train and do some mobility stuff on your own and do some, you know, that three week break. And um, they still haven't taken it. And I just got a text message the other day that um, that's, this individual is now uh, having some of the issues again. So I said, well, I mean, that's, it's obviously going to happen, right? I mean, what's the next injury that's going to happen after an ankle sprain? An ankle sprain, right? Because it's, 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 you're not loading the tissue the proper way and progressing it the right way. And I haven't had, excuse me, I haven't had that proper amount of time to be able to transition and load the tissue the proper way to get her back on the field the right way. And we're just continuing the, into this cycle. So how do you handle something like that? Um, I will say that I have a bit of a stubborn streak so that comes in handy when I'm speaking with somebody else who has a stubborn streak. And again, uh, that's the, you know, I, I feel for you because it's a tough scenario. You know, you have the right heart, you have the right information and the knowledge and the education, and you want to take care of these athletes. You want to take care of whoever walks in your door. And, um, and again, there are just so many misnomers now, you know, well, I have to, I have to play constantly. Otherwise I'm not going to get a scholarship. I need to be there for my team. You know, I'm getting pressure from the coaches to return to play. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm getting uh, anxiety, not, you know, not thinking I'm going to sit out and not playing. Yep. I'm, you know, I'm letting everybody down. So, so looking at it from the mental aspect, um, providing as much information as possible and, and saying, you know, this doesn't happen because, because the body has that domino effect. We've all seen it, right? You, you, you have a weakness. And like you said, what are the chances they're going to have another ankle injury, right? Well, if their ankle is not healed properly, how are they going to be able to biomechanically be in the correct position and then if they're in just about any sport and they get bumped into, right? And, and the proprioceptors aren't able to jump in properly in a quick fashion, all sorts of things can happen because then you're looking right up, you know, you're looking into the knee, you're looking into the hip, you're looking into the back. There, the, it, sports will find a weakness. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if you have a competitor who's going to be or even sometimes it doesn't even have to be your opponent. It can be your teammate falling into your cutting and, you yeah. know, 
that happens. Those are the unpredicted aspects. And, and you know, even, uh, even young uh, sports medicine people I've talked to, and I said, what's an unpredicted drill? They're like, I don't know. And it's like, well, you need to, you know, in that teaching fashion, you need to know what that unpredicted aspect is because sports is unpredicted. So if you're doing all predicted drills and you're expecting to go out there full force with it, without that strength component and the ability to, to start cutting, you're going to be cutting in your sport right? In just about every sport, you're going to have to explode. You're going to have to decelerate, which is one of the, the later things in rehab to come back. Right. Right, guys. Yeah. So all of those aspects yeah. have to come into play. One thing that um, that was mentioned over the weekend was, can you can you go into uh, a one legged squat? And some can, some can. Well, if you can't go into a one-legged squat, this was, I think, Coach Miller's thought process. You know, you, you can't go, you, you're not ready. Um, but if you're, again, you know, looking at a lot of the cutting drills and the progressions that you have, are you able to do any of this? Because that's without any contact. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and that's, I want to, Touch on that point, then I have another one too. Um, that's what I explain to a lot of these parents when they come in. I say, listen, right. most of what we're doing, you know, and this would be like ACL, like mid to late stage. What we're doing is they're still at about 70 to 75% and everything is predicted right now. So no, just because they're doing this doesn't mean that they're ready for soccer practice because soccer practice is 100%. Soccer practice is a lot more unpredictable, you know, like everything right now, I'm telling the individual, go to here, stop, cut, you know, like when you're out on the field, it's, it's all reactionary, you know? So we build to that, but just because we're doing those drills doesn't necessarily mean that we're ready to get back to play yet. Right. You know, right. absolutely. And even the, even the surface itself, you know, they're going to be playing, you know, they could be playing on turf, they could be playing on grass, they could be playing on multiple planes there, depending on, you know, home or away games. So absolutely. Kate, what type of, uh, oh, you got something, Joe? Another one? I have a question for the both of you that I'm going to wait till after you ask this one. I was just going to ask, what type of um, testing are you doing to look at this? So we know, um, like Joe and I use a lot of the functional movement systems, you know, great cooking right. and stuff. And we have the motor control screen, which will objectively assess a lower extremity reach, like a single leg squat. We're looking for symmetry with that. There's a plank position with the upper extremity cross reach. Um, and then we also have the fundamental capacity screen, which will actually evaluate in depth um, impact control and explosive control, as well as energy recycling. And I mean, it's like a safety net for these kids. I mean, it catches stuff right away. Then it gives you objective numbers. I mean, it's a lot of stuff to compute, but they have the equations and I will take the time to fill it out. So the parents and the athlete can understand how we got to those numbers and we could right. see um, where the deficits are and what that means. You know, this leg's doing this, this leg's not doing this. This is where you are, it's where you should be. 
And if a, if they would if they were compliant, they would do it in the beginning of the season. Then we could do it just before tournaments or playoffs to make sure that you know how many players stand on one leg, kick with the other. Well, one leg's going to become more of the stability leg throughout the season. The other one's going to be a little bit more mobile. What's happening if we retest that? You know, so we use those systems. Um, and I speak in the NFL. If you Google <laughs> um, jump. Uh, what's the one picture that comes up and it's Robert Griffin the third at the combine with the knees collapsing in. I mean, it's, it's a shame. It's an embarrassing picture for him, but there's a lot behind why he tore his ACL twice. I mean, there was a whole thing there that, I mean, Kevin Wolk went on in his course about, you know, he went back too soon and Shanahan didn't listen to Dr. Andrews, whatever, but he, you know, didn't have the right foundation. And you're talking about looking at these things and that should have been caught saying, this is our starting quarterback we got to fix these things. So I'm just curious, what testing and stuff are you guys doing to catch this stuff to help these guys? Okay. So, um, so we have used FMS before, um, that actually was involved in that while he was at university of Delaware, um, early on again, before I knew him. Um, so we look at that, but I'll also say this, when working with teams, um, I've developed or we've developed different cues. So different ways to look at things, because if you're evaluating a hundred players, yeah. right, or, or if we have half the team inside and half the team outside and, you know, 50, 60 players sometimes. Yeah. No um, I've seen the, I've seen the breakdown of, it's not the breakdown of FMS. I've seen the breakdown of where um, FMS is being done. And then what do you do with it now that you have 115 players and you don't have enough uh, people? So uh, with one of the teams, um, we were able to drop their soft tissue injury rate by 40% nice. within wow. two year time frame, And so it works. Um, injuries in general because of the way that the exercise science plan is created um, that takes care of a whole lot of everything that we're doing so looking at making sure that the proprioception is in there making sure that the extremities are addressed making sure that the explosiveness is in there making sure that um, we're minimum minimum now a two to one ratio posterior to anterior. And looking at the hamstring strength, um, 65 to 70% of the quadricep strength. Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at all of those, those aspects, but we're also making sure, you know, if, if we see somebody squatting and they're coming up, you know, into a quarter squat and dropping down, then we're not getting yeah. that full range of motion. The other aspect I have, um, if I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone, I'm looking at things from a muscular standpoint, the biomechanical, um, as well as the explosive tendencies, are, are they in a good cutting position, right? Are they getting, are their knees coming in? Are their knees going out? Are they, you know, unable to control their ankles? Um, so we're looking at all of those things during different cuts, during the dynamic warm-up, during the progression to their speed drills or their agility, figuring out where they're lagging behind 
um, doing some of the timed drills as well. And then if I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone, I have three pages of, of different um, observations. And one of them, um, one of them, because I'll share because we've talked a little bit about ACLs here, was with a client and some of this I do Zoom wise also I have clients that blessed now to work with clients around the country. Um, you know, I looked pretty intently at all that this young athlete was doing. And I'm not sure who he was seeing physical therapy wise. I can't remember right now. Um, but they did a really nice job. They did a really outstanding job in, in creating a strong foundation. But the way I look at the body is a little different because again, at the, the fascial planes, and I'm going to sit there, which is the connective tissue that, that surrounds and, and uh, also um, is intertwined within the muscular system. In case anyone here does not understand that, it's, a, it's actually um, that connective tissue, the fascia is actually stronger than muscle tissue, and it's, um, it has tensegrity. And so if, if those fibers, which now in uh, the fascial Congress at Harvard was found to contract and relax, just like muscle, but it's stronger than that, mm -hmm. kind of a big deal in looking at those components when we're looking at sports performance or recovery as well. So I just want to add that in in case somebody else listening isn't familiar. Um, but we'll look at all of those. With this ACL athlete, one of the things I do is uh, uh, closing their eyes and marching in place. And that tells me a whole lot. It tells me, depending on their, um, their position, it tells me according to their sport, as well as, again, the, the three-page list of everything else that I'm going through. And many times I don't go through that entire list, um, but this particular one, he was completely turning to his one side. I mean, immediately. And we stopped and he opened his eyes. He's like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What the heck's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and with my sense of humor, I'm like, I don't know. You really, you really should see somebody about that. <laughs> um, but, but then obviously we straightened him out, got him working. Um, and he was also quarterback. So the quarterback position and that constant, you know, the quarterback drop and then driving out and those, those drills over and over and over again. I wasn't surprised to see that. But that tells me that that's the way his body wants to go. And... That means that his head, his eyes are going to be keeping him in this position while his body might be doing something like that. And then you have all of these additional pressures and torque on all sorts of different areas. And then you're looking at, you know what, why, why did he have another knee issue? Yeah. Do you have physical therapists that you really work closely with and that you like, you know, and I mean, are there ones that you're seeing because, um, I mean, Joe, we get some that are coming from some networks and I mean, I'm going to say it as physical therapist, it is embarrassing and there's, there's really no excuse for it. I mean, this is like basic stuff and they're getting cleared for return to sport. And I'm saying how they can't even stand on one leg yet. This is basic foundation. Even if you're like, Six months out, you should know that that does not look stable. I mean, I've shown some of the videos to like little kids and they're like, that doesn't look good. 
<laughs> so that's not on, a good sign. <laughs> okay, so um, again, another another heated discussion. I love this stuff. You guys are awesome. Um, I'm not just going to put it on physical therapists, mm -hmm. okay? Because uh, you know, from a therapy standpoint, I I think you know both my husband and I are type A have type A in, in certain areas. I'm pretty much type A in just about every area. Tony is very much in sports medicine and strength and conditioning. It's okay. But I again, have my stuff type yeah. A. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So um so he's a he's a better mold. I'm trying to trying to live more uh along his lines. I'm working on it. Um but again, the educational aspect, and we'll see different things. You know, we've seen all sorts of things over the years, and and then we're wondering what the heck is going on. And that can that can be. I I realize this. I'm not okay in being average. Yep. And but to be to be an uh, above average at something somebody has to have the middle of the road and someone has to be below average in whatever that occupation is, whatever that realm is. And some people have so much passion and, and, and just, you know, like you guys, right? You're do, doing the podcast, you're researching, you know, all this information, you're at an elite level. And so when, when you're so pushed, for excellence, you don't understand what the heck, you know, why yeah. people are passed along to the next level. And I have a hard time with it too. And, and that's something that keeps me up at night. Wow, man, she just stole one of my like questions, that. Mike. <laughs> oh, we'll geez. Get to that. Yeah. oh, man. Wow. But, but Kate, I understand where you're coming from, but I mean, like I was a new grad once, and I had to go and I, you know, I took a lot of continuing ed early on. I went and dove right into FMS. I, you know, I took mobilization courses. I took Kevin Wilkes course. Um, I spent a lot of time shadowing Rothman physicians, trying to learn from them. Um, I mean, I, I was really flattered and, uh, you know, humbled by the amount of them that allowed me to go down there and shadow them and learn and understand because you don't learn this in school. Um, and, you know, again, you know, even going, uh, I'll be going into doing this 11 years in October. I am still revamping the way I'm doing stuff and still questioning how I'm doing stuff. Is there a better way? You like talking to individuals like yourself. What can I learn from Kate? Even though I know all these things and she has, what can I plug in? You know, all these people we bring on our podcast, we try to build a network where we could draw from that. And then those people in return will reach out to me, you know, and say, Hey, Mike, I got a PT question, this, that. And then I'll go to them and say, Hey, I got a speed question got a strength question and you start building all these resources. So the more you kind of plug in those gaps. So you, you become there. And like you said, there are all those people that had that mediocrity, but our goal is to try to pull more people away from that and get them into the excellence realm, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I feel the same way there. Um, you know, if, if I go to a doctor, it is going to be an exceptional doctor who is, renowned in what they do mm -hmm. you know god forbid if i had to have a surgery i'm going to go get a few different opinions yep. yes you know yep. i'm gonna have an understanding of what that person stands for if they believe in 
you know, if possible, doing the therapy route before, you know, going in for surgery, because that's, that's my personal belief. If I'm going to have um, physical therapy, I'm going to go to the best people because I know that then I have the opportunity to have the best outcome. You know, I'll give you this example. Um, there was, there was an athlete that was coming back and I, for the life of me right now, it's, it's leaving me. It was a really unique knee surgery. And, um, Tony actually knows the person who developed the, uh, the, the actual surgical procedure Oh wow! for coming back and offered the individual who was rehabbing the opportunity to talk with this incredible doctor who knew everything about it because he created the process, the procedure, as well as, you know, working on the rehab and, and what all was involved in that. And instead, this individual, young individual, very sure of their own belief systems, said, no, I'm, I'm good had never worked with this type of injury before yeah. and worked with an O-lineman. And the first time they were able to run this lineman, had him run a mile and a half. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. You always, wait, wait, did he you make always it? Need... <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Nice, nice. Wow. A mile and, and that, a half. That's that, good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally oh. prepares him for everything he needs yeah. to do yes. and a great progression. So wow. that um that kind of stuff that kills me because I hate seeing that and and again, like I said, you have you have people who are elite. I will always work on finding the best in the business mm -hmm. and I'll get different opinions. When I became ill, I saw eight different doctors and I don't think I would be blessed enough to be here to talk with you all if I didn't, if you do, didn't that. do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you definitely should do that. I mean, um, you know, I mean, that's, you know, the type of stuff that, you know, we see as well. Um, I, I think a big problem too is, there are a lot of settings that work, um, you know, factory style. I can only speak for, for PT, you know. Um, there's still a lot of companies that run high volume, high metrics. The quality of care is not there. Um, and it's no, it's no hidden fact. I don't need to speak badly on any companies. The patients come in and tell me, and I know how it is. And I say, right. yes, I know, I know. They say, hey, here's your, here's your exercise program, and you can go in the corner and do it. Um, and that's called skilled physical therapy. And these are people that want to pronounce themselves as doctors or something. Um, and this is why we're not getting the recognition as doctors because there's that extreme and then there's the other. So, you know, this is why we want to put the education out there because people should be able to do the research and understand that and see that. And there's still physicians out there that still think squatting is bad for your knees, you know, and don't, don't deadlift anything. Don't pick up anything, you know, mm -hmm. ever, you know. Um, and, and it's like, there comes a point where, like you said, politically correct and to be respectful, but you have to educate the patient on saying, no, that that's incorrect. 
Right. Um, and, and I think sometimes as PTs, we're so scared to, you know, step on toes, but if something's wrong, you know, it's wrong. And I, I'm not scared to be able to butt heads with a physician because I have the foundation to back it up. I would never do that with something I have no understanding of, but I will say, no, I'm sorry. I disagree. And here's the reasons why. And if I'm ever going to be respected as a professional and get the respect of, of clientele and patients, I have to be able to stand on that ability to be able to explain that, you know, and it's different than calling up a surgeon and saying, you're an idiot versus saying, look, you know, I disagree because X, Y, and Z, yes. you know, right. Um, right. there's still a lot of patients out there who will be working with physical therapists and they'll say, oh, and we're talking about doing a progress on so this. Well, let me see what the physician says. That's like this. You go out on a date with somebody and then you have, and then that's it. You go out on a date with somebody else. You continue seeing them for like, you know, six weeks, like you were in PT. Then at six weeks, that person asks and says, Hey, do you want to further this relationship? And you say, well, I want to see what that person I saw six weeks ago says. How does that make any sense whatsoever? Right. Right. And I said that to a patient and they looked at me like, wow. And I was like, see what you just said to me? What is somebody who hasn't worked with you three times a week for an hour and knows more about your personal life also with the way you move and how you're feeling going to say to you about that? And that's something that Joe and I are seeing that yep. sometimes we will get these physicians to say, oh, yeah, you're cleared to run. Did he do anything with you? Did he or she do anything with you to, to warrant that, that you're ready to run? Are they looking at you? Where are those metrics coming from? Because when I was first started working, we didn't really have those metrics. And, you know, functional movement systems and other performance measures have progressed where now we could warrant, yes, this warrants the ability to run. Whereas before I was like, ah, you know, you're at six months. Okay, give it a shot. <laughs> and they go back right. and it's like, oh. Check the box. Oh, you should not be running. Right. But right. you said I could. And right. like those words are like, you know, like God's gifts to the ears of the athlete. Yes, you can go back. But that's all I want to hear. Yeah. That's all the parent hears yeah. too. So... You know, if we could, if we could get that education and saying, here's why you shouldn't be doing that. Because even again, we get some of those coaches with the, with the soccer, the uh, two mile test, they're still doing that. And we're trying to explain how does that translate to soccer? How does running two miles even translate to the energy system of soccer? And these girls are that time of the year, Mike, we're getting to that time of the year. Yeah. You know? So when you said the run the mile and a half, I was thinking about performance measures and that's yep. what made me think about yep. that. Like where, why, why, like where, where's why, that? Why ever? Hey, yeah. look, I, I, I have this question that's boiling over here that I have to ask because it's everything that you've been, both you guys have been talking about for the last 12 minutes is circling right back to this question that this is a live um, a sample of what I got going on. And it's about the deficit between one leg to the other. And again, let's since we are all ACL, let's just use that. I have currently, I have a, a um, an athlete and um, they're telling her that she's still, PT and I are now kind of sharing this, this patient. Um, they're telling her that she's still having a deficit on her operative leg to the non-operative leg. They've done nothing for the non-operative leg, and she's been there almost five months. I told her today that we were going to do the other leg. And she's like, well, they're not doing it because they don't want that leg to get stronger than the other one. <laughs> now, now hold on. Now, hold on. 
I have two professionals here. I'm going to play like I don't know what's going on here. If I put you into a split squat and I have two 20-pound dumbbells in my hand and I go into a split squat with the non-operative leg forward first and I can complete eight reps and I go to the other side and I can complete eight reps, did either side get stronger than the other? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Mike, Mike, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> I'm not. Yourself. I'm not understanding. Yeah, I'm not understanding the the logic behind that. So please, Michael, physical therapist, please it's, give us some insight there, to there's this. There's still that older school mentality that they're not understanding, and you know we have not only research, but research is one component. There's also the clinical aspect too. Um, and the results and what's happening there. So the research has shown that when they were rehabbing ACLs or any operative leg, they were missing out and they were focusing just on that leg that the other side started to begin a deficit, number one. Number two, with a lot of these athletes that we see, it's the non-injured side that is the problem. And I've seen that multiple times, whether it's a locked up ankle, instability, you know, or poor motor control in the hip, or there is weakness. And it's because, like you talk, Kate, you have you know, a lineman that's always going to one side. Same thing with a soccer player that's only going to one side. So one leg becomes more dominant in certain things than others. And sometimes you just get some funky findings because human performance is human performance. They might be able to stand on one leg and squat and be really stable there, but they can't rotate and do a multi-directional movement on that leg. Whereas the other one, they can. It's because the brain and central nervous system have just developed patterns to compensate for something that you're just seeing all this. And sometimes it's like there's no FMS test or there's no anything that give you like an exact answer. It's just the way they're presenting. And you know that there's an asymmetry. So just fix it and yeah. even them out for where they need to be. But understanding that if they are a position player, one side is going to have a dominant thing, you know, a dominant movement or a dominant requirement. It's like a baseball player. Like you're not trying to push certain range of motion for that because they need some of that. But understanding that you're trying to minimize, you know, the excessive effects, you know, that's kind of how like Reinhold puts it. That's how Kelly Starr puts it. You know, how much is the body having to compensate? Are we keeping that window really, really small? where they're having to do this and we're, and we're preventing from getting excessive. So a lot of these kids, it's excessive. It's yep. all over the place. And the best and part about it is, the best part about it is when I put her into that position, the non-operative leg fatigued quicker than the operative leg. And she's like, oh man, my leg. I said, oh, you mean the stronger leg that kept going into right. Valgus? Yeah. That leg. Yeah. Oh, okay. The leg that they're saying has the deficit. So then the, Part two of that is, what are they using to determine that deficit then? And why have they not decided to work on the right leg, which is the non-operative leg? Yeah, I mean, well, you have, they have things like doing the handheld dynamometers or the biodex or actually get the strength performances. But a lot of the individuals we're seeing, especially at this early stage, they don't really have much of that capacity for that you know, high-end strength output, it's more of a neuromuscular control that we're working on. By the time they're actually going to start building pure strength, they're going to be seeing somebody like Joe. But the problem is, is they're skipping all that foundation yeah. going right to Joe. And they don't know how to even coordinate the movement to eventually start to build muscle mass so that they can strengthen bulk 
And I'm like, you're not even in that realm. You're not even strong yet. We're not talking about strong numbers. You know, this is different. Like I had a, an athlete ask me, how is Odell Beckham Jr. squatting over 200 pounds after an ACL? I'm like, because his foundation is that much higher that he could start doing that. Whereas a high school athlete didn't even know how to squat, which is why they're in the position that they're in. So you have to understand the complexity of the individual working with. So let's give the floor to Kate now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice pass. Thank you. I'll take that. Um, So I'll, I'll give this, uh, I'll give this case study that I ended up doing. And it was a, a football player that I worked with not that I just work with football players. This just happened to be another football player who had a very unique um, foot injury and kept him out for over six months and was not able to do any football drills, anything. And the, the area was not healing. This one small muscle on the foot was not healing. It just continued to, to cause pain um, and even in the, the test the doctors were doing, it still was, you know, inflamed. So they sent him to me and I started doing, I looked at his, you know, I went through my, my, my focus, um, the movement patterns, and he, he was doing strength, um, but I was taking him through different movement patterns that I normally do, you know, the, the march, um, different rotations, um, checking his squats, et cetera. Um, and then I, I ended up, I I ended up seeing some measures of major imbalances from the middle of his back all the way down. Wow. And took him through probably about I'll say 16 muscle tests, orthopedic muscle tests. And so many, I think he, I think maybe two were strong. Wow. And so that includes hip and, you know, again, but, but it was tracing what I was seeing in his patterning what had happened because he was also in a boot for a long period of time, mm-hmm. which was changing Changes his gait tremendously, yeah. which was twisting and rotating the middle of his back and his hips. And so, you know, all of these things were, were I believed could be a contributor. And so in looking at his patterning, I worked on moving all of these areas back into place um, manually and then working with him on, on some of those other components on his gate work, et cetera, with different other assisters from a strength standpoint. And within, um, a month he was able to do some additional, you know, he was finally able to go back on the field in, in minor capacities within two months. Um, he was probably about, 85 to 90% out on the field. And that was, you know, that was, again, he was out completely for over six months. And so one of the things that I will do is if talking, just like you were just talking about showing, showing the deficits, right? 
if if talking isn't getting there if they're not seeing it and so, some people know their bodies you know some of the professional athletes they could have their hips could be off like an eighth of an inch and they'll feel it and then you have some people who go around with such a dysfunctional state you don't <laughs> even know how they're walking around let alone playing sports and so some people will be very in tune with those you know some of the things that you're you're talking about joe and and mike that makes a whole lot of sense others i'll look just like i did with this athlete and i'll take them through the muscle testing they're like that's my strong leg and i'm like well, like, I'm five, four, I weigh like 115 pounds. And if you're, in, if you're 350 pounds and I can move you with two fingers, yeah. we, you know, Houston, we have a problem. So that brings out the point as to, you know, we're talking about how do we keep the players involved so they don't get discouraged and, and, you know, lack of motivation. You know, I talk to the athletes too about stuff that you can do and not what you can't do. And I know I've seen, you know, Kevin Wilk will do that with a lot of his, you know, football players and athletes in there. It's okay, well, we can't run and do football drills, but I'm a wide receiver, so I'm going to do stability drills and I'm going to work my handwork. I'm going to start getting my hands on, on, a, on, a, on a football. And I talk about that with some of the soccer players. I'm like, you can't run and cut right now. Let's stand on one leg and let's do some soccer drills. Let's work some kicks. Let's work some of that, some hand-eye coordination stuff if you're a goalkeeper. I mean, I think goalkeepers are a lot easier to work with in that sense because there's more you can do. But even on the one foot, you want to work on some dynamic stability. Let's start training different positions and work some foot drills. So it's not focused on the things we can, but the things that we can, you know. And then you brought up the boot. And, you know, that's something that we see, too. We have to use these outcome measures that these insurances approve, like the LEFS, and they don't take an account for someone's rating will be much better when they're in the boot because they could walk more because they're just rocking over the foot. <clears throat> when they come out of the boot, they have to walk more. It's a lot more stress on the foot. The foot's not bending to the dorsiflexion. It's more pain. It looks like they regressed. There's nothing on that outcome measure to account for that. And it's very frustrating because that's what insurance companies are looking at. And you have to spell it out to them like this is the case, you know. Um, when athletes are coming to you, are they going through an insurance or is this like a cash base? Like how are they getting through to be able to pay for all this health care that they get? Um, for me in particular, um, I am usually either contracted with teams or huh. people will pay me um, straight out. So okay. I'll, I'll okay. do package prices again, you know, if I'm working on, on running form, even if there's no injury, obviously I'll, I'll do strength and speed and all of that. So I'll do packages to assist with the prices when they're coming back from an injury. That's, That's okay. helpful okay. as well. I don't do insurance. Um, I tried that and realized how time consuming that yep. is. Yep. And I did and not have that time available. Yeah. And a restriction. Yep. You can't do yeah. what you want to do. I mean, and some of them, if they're really stingy, they give you a couple visits at a time. And it's like, how do you not have a background understanding of the complexity of this condition? That four visits at a time is not going to cut it. If you want to see progress notes, we could do some progress notes. It's fine. But just given these visits, they got to be in here doing this. And it, yeah, it limits you. You know, it constricts what you need to do. Yeah. And, and just to, to add on to your point, as far as, um, you know, I'm, I'm really big on focusing on the positive also, and that's, you know, that's uh, the, the 
base of the book that I'm writing. Um, and so I'll film and I'll write tons of notes. And when someone says, oh, well, I'm not progressing, I'm like, let me show you where you were two weeks ago. That's a good idea. Let yep. me show you where you are now. And it can be so enlightening and you can just see the look on their faces like, wow, man, I've really come a long way. And yeah, I can, you know, now I can see it because when you're with yourself 24 seven, yeah. many times you're not going to see those, those increments. And mm -hmm. so I, I am a very visual coach and person. So, so sharing those things um, and like you said, you know, depending on uh, if we're working with the team and we're working at, with athletic trainers and, and PTs and the, the team doc or, or not, um, having some of those conversations with whoever else they're seeing when they're seeing us privately, um, you know, making sure that we're making sure that we're all on the same page. But uh, if if someone's someone has is in a boot and we can get them into a position to still do um, clean pulls coming through their hips, but not weight bearing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and I don't suggest any of this to anyone who might be listening <laughs> without having the proper individuals involved. Right. Proper so supervision very, folks. You hear that? Please. It, yes. yes. Hey, we have a, we have a, an enormous audience. So everyone out there, do you hear that? <laughs> supervision, 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 yes. making sure that the right people are involved and, and that you're not trying something that you saw on YouTube, but that you have, you know, people like Joe, Mike, um, myself, you know, having, having people who are certified, who are, who are involved yeah. and, uh, and have that that heart and that education, but there we will be very adaptable um, to different injuries and come up with creative but very safe ways in talking with the different medical um, providers who are involved and still being able to explode or do whatever is possible. Um, you know, sometimes we'll do band work. Um, in working on on agilities and things along those lines, if they have um, certain injuries that they're unable to go full out in, in other capacities. So yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, this could we could go on and on and on for hours. We may have to save some Mike to get her back on again. Look, we're all about bringing on guests multiple times um, because things evolve, things come up. Um, you know, new things come along. So we want to be able to discuss that or maybe somebody did something really big and we want to share that. Um, but our goal is to really, we want to push this podcast out in our, our community. We're obviously not like Joe Rogan's podcast, but um, the goal is, yeah, the goal is we want to grow this into this whole area of Bucks County and, and farther. So we want to get this out to the parents, um, you know, to the coaches um, I don't know how many of the high school athletes would listen to the podcast, but I think if it's an interesting topic, they might. Um, but definitely college, um, you know, anyone when they're driving, listening to get this knowledge out there. And uh, that's what I really learned about podcasts over the past couple of years is people really coming on and they're really, you know, opening up the books and, you know, cracking the knowledge on 
on some really cool stuff. And they're not scared to speak the truth. Some of the conversations can be a little uncomfortable and sensitive, but people are learning and they want to know. Um, and there, and with social media, there's so much stuff being put out there and people want to know, like, is this legit? Is this good? Like, does this person even have a degree? Like, what is this? So, um, I don't think there's anything wrong in, in being confident and, um, you know, having a foundation in what you do, you know, and, and, and learning to say like, yeah, like that's not, that's not good or that's wrong. Like, and here's why, because you have the education, the experience and the background to back it up. It's not just bro trash talk. It's actually knowledgeable. And right. this is the conversations that I have with the parents and the individuals. Um, and they will bring up tough conversations and, um, that's why I like to challenge myself with knowledge too and learning, you know, as much as I can, especially you know, from someone like yourself, Kate, because you never know what else you could absorb. And I think the minute you close your mind off, you, you stop growing. And that sounds very cliche, but it's true. And there's a lot of practitioners that get stuck in what they know and they don't want to expand anymore. And I feel like even though I have a decade under and I've learned so much, like I said, I'm still learning, still trying yeah. to get better, still trying to improve. And everybody we bring on this podcast is the same. So if you notice, we try to cherry pick our guests because we're building a network of that. And if you look at some of our previous guests, they all have a pretty cool background in something they do. And we think that everybody on this podcast, without even knowing each other, can sit in a room and have an awesome conversation with each other. And that's what we're trying to create. And it's a strong network because you never know if the guests on here might start networking with each other because of what they offer. Like we have an awesome guy who does uh, speed and agility stuff and work used to work with Joe. Um, he's out in Chicago. We have, um, you know, a physical therapist who has 30 years experience, an Olympic level rower. who has got a great training concept that we brought on here. Um, you know, who else did we bring on Joe? We brought on, uh, um, Ben, Ben has worked at uh, spear training out in Chicago yeah. as well. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a few on, doctors uh, on and two weeks yeah, we'll have Dr. Seward's on. Yeah. So who so, actually did you know, my, my surgery. Yeah. We brought on, what's his name from Kansas? Um, the performance, athletic performance. With the oh, South Matt Mosman. Uh, no, that was from Endurly. From oh, sorry. Yeah. So everybody's got a little bit of something that they can interact. And then what we would do is like, we go into our network and we say, Hey, like we'll share this podcast and get brought on Kate. Look at what she has to know. And then your information can help somebody else or something else and what they know, because we do have some other people who are working with pro athletes and it might help them. It might network. You never know who knows who. Um, so um, that's what's really cool about it. And we want to try to bring all this knowledge together so we can share it to the right people, you know, and get it out there. So when you hear something stupid like squats are bad for your knees, now we're going to have people being like, okay, dude, you're, you're stuck 30 years ago. Grow up. <laughs> Right. You know, <laughs> listen to our podcast. You might learn something. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but well, we did say in the beginning that we will put you know some of this stuff in the show notes. But Kate, where can they find you? Where can our large audience find you on uh, social media? Well, thank you all. Um, www.instituteofathleticmovement.com is our website. Um, Kate. Decker underscore Institute Athletic is Instagram. We have another Instagram, which is Institute of Athletic Movement. Um, we're on LinkedIn. And then uh, we have a business Facebook page as well. So if they want to follow in all any of those aspects, that would be awesome. Cool. We'll we're put always, them links in know, there also. I'm sorry? We'll put those links in, on in, uh, at the end as well. Thank you, Joan, and really appreciate not only having the opportunity to share 
uh, but to learn from you guys and, and really appreciate your focus on helping so many people and educating and, and bringing um, all these all these individuals together from the networking standpoint, that's how we, we grow the change yeah. and, uh, and make some, some positive improvements out there. It's awesome. That might be in your little network tagline, growing the change. Growing, growing the change. Hey, listen, yeah. this, this came out of a curiosity that I had that was spawned off because of the conversations that Mike and I had during my physical therapy. And then he kept saying, you got to listen to this podcast. Listen to it. Hey, did you listen to this one? You know? So I started listening to more so that we had more conversation. And, you know, ironically at the same time, I'm getting more knowledge and understanding, you know, it's, it, it's a simple way to get knowledge, you know, and we're going to come up, we have a new thing coming. I want to put this at the end of the show. We have a, a new thing coming out. Um, it's going to kind of spawn off of our podcast or excuse me, our podcast. And uh, it's going to feature Mike in a 15 minute segments. So we're going to, uh, we're going to post more about that on our Instagram and stuff like that. So that's coming out. That should be out soon. Um, something a little bit smaller so that it's, it's bite-sized information. You know, I love these podcasts because we can go on for, for two hours. Sometimes people don't have that kind of time. They better for our show, but if they don't, we will be having these 15 minute segments with Mike and uh, get some other uh, questions answered. So if you are listening to this, um, start throwing in some questions that you might want to ha have Mike answer because we're going to start firing away at him, have him answer some questions in a 15 minute segment. But yeah, we'll segue also get, like a little bit of a round table too, though. We're going to yes. probably get some other people to come on and do like a quick thing. We get a couple different opinions from different people. So anyone who could join on that, we'll give them a heads up. But hey, you want to hop on real quick for a round table? Because sometimes 15 minutes is easier for people to squeeze into their schedule than trying to do a full long one, you know? So there you go. There you go. Hey, Mike, where can they find you? So, uh, honey badger underscore juicy at Instagram. That's where you get all the juiciest information, plus our new 15 minute of juice segment, the end. I'm um, on LinkedIn. Um, and you can find me on Facebook. We're really active on IG and, and LinkedIn. Awesome. You can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Haas. You can go to LinkedIn under uh, Joe Haas, uh, the Coach Haas Facebook page. I also have a YouTube page, Coach Haas. It's got over 200-something videos on there. This has been an amazing night. I can't thank the both of you enough. Have a great night, and we will talk soon. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you both tremendously. appreciate you. Thanks, awesome. Kate. See you, Mikey. Thanks, guys. All right, see you. Take care. Bye.